there's this idea in life that we cannot really control what happens around us. The only thing we can control is, is we have far more control about what's happening, happening within us. Okay? So we can't control the things that happen outside of us, but we do have far more control over what happens within us. And, and let me give you some examples of this, all right? There was a big football game on Friday. Anybody know what big football game was on Friday? All right, the Apple Cup, all right? How many of you would raise your hand and say, I bleed purple and gold? How many of you uh, bow wow purple and gold? All right, there's, there's a few of you. Okay, how many of you would say, I bleed crimson? I'm, I'm, I'm a bleeding crimson kind of guy. You guys are in a weird relationship. One of you is purple and gold. The other one is crimson. That's, uh, I offer counseling for, for, you know, just to throw that out there. So, so, so we have this football game, this, the Apple Cup, Washington State University against the University of Washington. And let me ask you this. Out of all of you that raised your hand, how many of you had some sort of ability, ability to affect the outcome of the game? Anybody have the ability to affect the outcome of the game? I don't see anybody's hands up. Yet what's going to happen is after that game, if you're from, if you're rooting for the purple and gold, you're going to brag for the next year about how we dominated and how we creamed WSU. And if you're a Coug, what you're going to do for the next year is you're going to say, just wait till next year and it'll be our time. And here's where, where we have this thing that we have no control over. But we do control our response and, and what's within us. Thinking about this in another way. Uh, Thanksgiving. You just had a great celebration, hopefully with family and friends. And you ever notice how there's always that one family member. You've got that crazy aunt, that crazy uncle, whatever it is. You have no control over what that person says, what that person does. And you have no clue what they're going to do. But you know they're going to do something. Anybody have that family member? Any of you are that family member? All right. Yeah. My sister raised her hand. I would amen that. And uh, you have no control over what they, ha- what they do and what they say. But you do, you do have far more control over how you respond, over what happens within you. One more way. Think about marriage. You're thinking about marriage. You think about family relationships. You cannot change another person. You cannot change your spouse. But you know what you can change? You can begin to change you. And listen, if we would begin to learn this principle uh, about we can't control what happens around us, we can only control what happens within us. If we would learn this principle, like how much greater would our life be? Like how much greater would your marriage be if you practice this principle? How much greater would your relationship with your parents or your children or your coworkers or whatever it is be if you understood this idea that you can't control what happens around you. You can only control what happens within you. So this is where we ask you to open up your Bible. If you have a Bible, I um, invite you to open to James chapter 5. And if you need a Bible, just slip your hand up. There's an usher in the back. He'll come and, and bring one of these Bibles to you. Um, in this section, James chapter 5, uh, James has begun talking about uh, conflict. He's talking about dealing with conflict and dealing with hardship and dealing with, with suffering. And in fact, we saw in the previous section that, that Aaron taught on last week, James 1, 5, 1 through 6, we saw that there was a specific group of people who were dealing with conflict in a very specific way. You've got some people that there's hardship, there's suffering going on. And what they do is they turn all their attention into making money. 
assuming if I can just have enough money, then all of my problems will go away. And money can bring me happiness. And so uh, Aaron did a great job communicating about how these people would, would take advantage of other people. Where what they really did is they loved money and they used people. Instead of what God has called us to do, which is to love people and use money. So these people had this idea that if we just had enough money, it would solve all of our problems. Until they come to the conclusion that money cannot solve the issues of your heart. It can't solve the issues around you. And so today, uh, Matthew, James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, James is going to continue this idea about, about hardships and suffering. And he's going to teach a very specific idea about having patience in suffering. He's going to look at the hardships we face, the difficulties. And his, his, his idea is, again, is, is you cannot control what happens around you. The only thing you can control is what happens within you. So if you have a Bible, uh, James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, I'm actually going to ask you to stand up with me and, uh, and, and follow along as we read through James chapter 5, 7 through 12. You can follow along in your Bible. We also have it up on the screen. And here's what James says. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke of the name spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those who blessed, uh, who re- we completed, we consider those who blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes, and let your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. That's God's word for us today. Would you pray with me? God, as we have the opportunity, uh, just to open up your word, God, I pray for just your grace to be on us. God, I pray that you would allow your Holy Spirit to rest on, on each and every one of us in this place here today. That, God, we'd understand that we came here not to hear a pastor's opinion, but we came to hear your word. And, God, I pray that you would speak to every one of us. God, you know exactly where it is that we're coming from today. God, you know the burdens we carry. Um, You know the blessings we carry. And today, God, I pray that you would speak loudly and clearly and your spirit would rest on every one of us. Jesus, we love you and we praise you and we plead for your presence now. And we ask this in your name. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Unless you want to stand, you're welcome to stand if you'd like. But I'd recommend having a seat. So James just jumps into this idea uh, about dealing with with hardships and dealing with suffering and dealing with difficult things. Now, one of the things that James doesn't do is he doesn't tell us specifically what hardships these people are dealing with. He doesn't say, here's the issue they're dealing with. And so what I want you to do is I want you to think about, I want you to think in your own life. Okay, and I want you to think maybe maybe a hardship that you're dealing with in your situation, maybe a a difficult situation in, in your family life, Maybe, maybe a difficult situation in your, in your work life. Uh, maybe maybe it's, it's longing for something that you haven't been able to find. Maybe have, think about that situation in your own life and, and have it in your mind. Okay? Now, for some of you, some of you are saying, well, well I, don't really, I don't really have a hardship right now. 
And listen, if that's you, praise God that there's no difficult thing in your life right now. But understand this, life happens. And they will come down the road. You will face hardships. If you're in a season of of peace and comfort right now, listen, this is how life works. There's going to be some hardships coming in your way. That's just life. You You can't protect yourself from that. So what I want you to do is if you're in that season of blessing right now, I want you to think back to, to a time of hardship, a time of, of difficulty in your life. Think back to a situation. And I want you to think back and reflect, man, what are the ways that I handle this in a godly way? And what are the ways I still have to learn, to learn how I can handle things in a godly way? Okay? So I want you to, to either think about that situation in your life right now, or I want you to think about something that happened in the past and have that in your mind as we, we have this conversation. Because as you're thinking about the situation, I want you to think about how you feel. I want you to think about how you feel when you face that hardship. How do you feel? Because typically, when we're facing a hardship, a difficulty, there's, there's one of three responses. Okay? The first one is there's a, a response where I'm going to fight. Okay? And you have this fight mentality that says, I'm just going uh, I'm 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 to carry the load. I'm going I'm I'm to I'm toughen up. I'm, I'm, I'll make it happen. I'll, I'll push through. I'll, I'll fight through. And that's one response to facing a difficulty. How many of you would say I'm a fighter? I just jump in there and I'm willing to grit it out and do whatever it takes. Others, others instead of responding out of fight, they respond in fright. This is the person who becomes panicked. They become paralyzed to an extent. They become scared because they don't know what to do. They don't know what decision to make. And, and honestly, this kind of person who deals with fright, sometimes it's hard enough just to get out of bed, knowing of, of what the day is going to hold and knowing that they've got this, this weight and they've got to figure it out. They become so frightened that they can't do anything about it. And the third common response when dealing with a hardship is flight. And that's the person that says, that's it. That's it. I'm done. They say, it's time for me to get the divorce. It's time for me to quit the job. It's time for me to take my cell phone and throw it into the Yakima River. I quit. I'm done. I'm not doing it anymore. And instead of dealing with the conflict, you just get out of there. You get out of town. So these are the, as you're thinking through, what's your, what, what's your, what's your personality? How do you normally respond to, to those hardships in your life? Is it to, to fight? Is it fright? Is it flight? Because there's a fourth way that James is going to talk to us about how we deal with, with difficulties in our life. And that's, that, that has nothing to do with, with, with fight or fright or flight. It has to do with faith. There's a way to deal with, with difficulty and hardship by faith. And that's to recognize, man, God is good. God is for me, not against me. And God has has called me into this season of life. Whatever season it is, God has placed me there for a reason. And by faith, by faith, I look to him. And I trust that he will carry me through the season of difficulty. And this is where James is going to teach us this, this very basic idea that we need to walk away with today. His persevering faith in God requires patience. If we're going to have a persevering, uh, steadfast, strong faith in God, it will require that we have patience. Faith in God requires patience. And and James is going to give us four things today. We're going to find four things in this text. And this is what it looks like for us to be patient. 
Okay, if we're supposed to be, be if we're supposed to be patient, so our faith will grow. Here's what being patient looks like. Here's why we be patient. First thing that James is going to say, he's going to say, "Be patient because God is coming." Be patient because God is coming back. Here's what James wrote in verse 7. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See, if you are a Christian, if you're a Christian in here today, we understand life, life is linear. Okay? Think, think, think of a line from here to there. Life, life is a linear line. Okay? We're all on this process. We're all going towards something. There's something in the end of the line that we're all pursuing. We're all chasing after. We're waiting to get there. You know what the end is? Is Jesus. It's his return. Ultimate redemption on the earth. Jesus is going to come back. And, 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 and this, is, this is our line. This is our life. We are progressing on this line. Trying to get to that place. And we know that God is for us. We know that he is, 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 is for us and not against us. And we're working towards this line. And we know that Jesus is coming back for us. And we don't know where we are on that line. But we know Jesus is coming back for us. In fact, I think about, I think about this, this way to picture, picture this. My, my son Jackson, when he was like six years old, maybe he was five, I don't know. Maybe he was younger than that. I don't know how old he was. We, we decided as a family we're going to go to the corn maze. Okay? That's one of the things you do in the fall. It's fun to go to the corn maze. And so we went out to Thompson's Orchard. And, uh, and Jackson, you know, he's a boy and he's like, dad, I'm brave. I'm like, how brave are you? And he says, I'm going to get through this maze on my own. And I'm like, no, you're not. And he's like, yes, I am, dad. So we come to this, this fork in the fork in the maze. And he says, dad, you go this way and I'll go this way. And we'll, we'll find each other on the other side. And I'm like, you're not old enough. And he's like, dad, I'm brave. I got this. I'm like, all right, all right, you go this way. And I turn this way and I go about 20 seconds later. I hear him crying. And he is crying loud. So everybody in the maze hears this little kid crying, Dad! 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 And he's crying. And I'm running through that maze. (laughs) I'm running through that maze. And I'm following his voice. And I find him, and I scoop him up, and I squeeze him to death. Listen, is is a Christian? This is our understanding This is the confidence that we have. That when we go through life, when we go through crap and and hard things, we have to remember, hey, dad is coming. And that's what my son can remember. Dad's coming. I'm going to cry out for him. And dad's going to come. And this is is our confidence as Christians. That in the, the middle of the crap that we're dealing with and the hardships, God is coming. He is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to make all things right. He's going to fix everything that's gone wrong. This is where the scripture says there's going to be no more tears. There's going to be no more mourning. There's going to be no more loss, no more sadness. All those things are vanished and gone and gone when God comes back for us. He comes back and we have this face-to-face relationship with Jesus Christ, our Savior. And this is what James is saying. Hey, in the face of that hardship, hold tight. Just, just hold on. Just be patient. Because God is coming back. He's coming back for us to right the wrongs, to fix the problems. Whatever your difficulty or your suffering or your weariness, depression, your anxiety, hey, all those things, one day they will be over. And he's saying, hey, he's coming back for us. Just hang in there a little bit longer. Just, just, just be patient. 
Just fight a little bit more. Because God is coming back through this maze to rescue us. To bring us redemption. Second thing that James is going to teach us. He's going to say, be patient because God is at work in us. Here's what he says, the rest of verse 7. He says, James says, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Now, I got to admit, I got to admit, if you know much about me, I'm not much of a farmer. Uh, Not my experience, but I do know very limited about it. And I know that you are limited by seasons. Okay. Apple trees, they don't bear fruit in the middle of the winter. It's just not the way it works. And I don't think there's, I don't think there's a way to make apples bear fruit in the middle of the winter. Uh, peaches, they can't bear trees. Uh, see, God, when God created the world, uh, he created things to grow in seasons. And so this is where we understand you can't grow in every season, but God created things to grow in season. And listen, you and I, we are just like that. Okay? The church, this is our field. This is our field. And every one of us, we are like a, a tree. That God has planted, that God designs to bear fruit. And listen, God is a patient farmer. He's a very patient farmer. There are seasons where we are growing. There are seasons when we are preparing. There are seasons where we're, 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 we're growing strong so we can bear fruit for God. And this is where we understand God is working in us. And God is looking and saying, this story, we understand God is working at people in here. I mean, God is working on her and God is working on on, on him. And God is really working on this guy right here. He's working overtime on this guy. He's got a lot of work to do. And this this is how God operates. This is what he's doing in our midst is God is working on us. And there are seasons where God is, is pruning us. There are seasons where God is nourishing us. There are seasons where God is feeding us. And these are the seasons where we're growing. And these are the seasons that we need to be patient. Because you can't rush fruitfulness in your life. I know, I know most of us are sitting in here and we'd love to say, man, I just, I'd love to take a magic pill to immediately become mature and strong and steadfast. I'd love for this just to happen overnight. But this is a process that you can't rush. It takes time. It takes seasons. It takes growing. And we have to understand it. And this is why James is, is emphasizing this idea. Be patient through the seasons of life. Be patient. Be patient. I mean, if you look at this text, he says in verse 7, twice, he says, be patient. Be patient. Verse 8, he says, be patient. Verse 9, he says, patience. Verse 11, he says, steadfastness and being steadfast. And you see this theme throughout this entire passage. And the the midst of difficulty and and hardship, be patient because God is at work in you. God has not abandoned you. He's using this season to grow you and mature you, to strengthen you. So you can produce the fruit that God has called you to produce. This is where we have that faith that God is working things out for our good and for his glory. And this is why we are called to live by faith, to have patience through the seasons of life. In fact, James has already argued this idea about how our, 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 our hardships produce strength in us, steadfastness. He, James wrote in chapter 1, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith, it produces steadfastness. 
and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Listen, there's a confidence that each of us should have, knowing that God is at work in us. God is at work in us, producing fruits of righteousness. And this is where we need to be patient, because God will work in your struggle. God will work in your joy. God will work in your losses. God will work in the fights that you're in right now. Be patient. Because God is at work. He says in verse 8, he repeats his idea. He says, you also be patient and establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Here's where he's coming, kind of coming back to this first idea. He's saying, be patient. Establish your heart for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And he says, establish your heart. What that means is it means to uh, strengthen your heart, to, to, to plant your heart in deep, to, to, to take courage, to take resolve, to, to persevere. Ground yourself in this idea that God is coming back. And why, why, would he, why would he say this? Why would he say we need to establish our heart? Why do we need to ground ourselves in the knowledge that God is coming back? Okay, do this with me. Just, just imagine. Imagine there's no Jesus. Okay? Imagine, imagine there's no Christmas. There's no baby born in a manger to come to save the world from their sins. Imagine, imagine God never entered the world. Imagine sin would never be forgiven. Imagine there's no resurrection of the dead. There's no eternity. There's no future. There's no justice. There's no healing. There's no kingdom of God. Just imagine what your life would be like. Think about those things. What would it be like? Because as I, as I begin to think through, man, going through hardship, going through those difficulties that we face, and the only thing, the only thing that would be worse than going through what you're going through right now is going through those things without believing in Jesus, without believing that there is a Savior who is coming to bring redemption. Like, what could be worse than living through hardships thinking there's no, there's nothing else. This is it. There's no redemption. There's no Jesus. There's no Savior. There's no forgiveness. There's no redemption. There's no, there's no eternity. Like, how horrible to go through life not having that hope. I mean, if you have no sense of, 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 of a king ruling the kingdom of God, if you have no sense that God is coming to wipe every tear, to raise every dead saint, to right every wrong, to reconcile every relationship. Listen, if those things are true and I'm facing hardship, that becomes a load that's too heavy to bear. Like if there's no hope, like I can't withstand the burdens that are going to be placed in my life. And this is where James understands this. And this is why he says, establish your heart in the coming of the Lord. Like ground yourself on this. Like make sure you're planted deep. You have a good understanding of this. Because listen, you can't withstand the, the, the weight of this world on your own. You've got to have that hope that there is a God who's coming to make things right. You've got to have a hope that there is a God who is for you and not against you. Who is working things out for your good and for his glory. This is where James is saying, establish your heart. Look to the Savior. Look out on that, whole, uh, on that linear line and see, hey, there is an end point. There is a Savior who's coming back to make all things right. 
Third thing James is going to teach us about being patient is he's going to say, be patient with each other. Be patient with each other. Verse 9, James says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. All right, true or false? Okay, true or false? When you are feeling the pressure of life, when you are burdened and overwhelmed and you're anxious and depression is beginning to sink in, listen, true or false, you tend to be a little more impatient with other people. True or false? True. I'm glad that's not just me. Like, that, that, that's just the reality of life. When you're in that season, you become less patient with people. And, and you find that uh, you, you're a little crusty with your words. And you're a little crusty with your tone and, and your attitude. And, and instead of assuming the best in people, you assume the worst in people. Listen, suffering people are selfish people. That's just the reality of life. Suffering people are selfish people. And oftentimes we feel very vindicated in that. Because what happens is, is when you're going through the hardship, you see everybody, you see all the relationships around you as a circle. You see them in a circle, and you are in the middle of the circle. And all those people are there to serve you. All those people are there to try and make things better in your life. All those people are there to, to, and your attitude is, you all in the circle, you come and appreciate me. You pay attention to me. You comfort me. You, you help me. You be sympathetic towards me. And what happens is when those people in that circle, when they don't give you the intention that you think you deserve, you blow up on them. You become impatient with them. You give them a mouthful. You give them an earful. And this is what James is saying. James is saying, hey, Stop for a second. Because the judge is standing right outside the door. And he's listening and he's watching to what's being said. James is saying, I'd watch your mouth. I'd be very careful how you respond. See, this is where you have to remember. Like, just as God leads us into seasons. God leads us into seasons where he's growing us and he's stretching us. And he's, he's putting trials on our plate so we can... Uh, grow in our faith, and grow in our perseverance in Him. Listen, God is doing the same thing with everybody around us. Everybody has a burden. Everybody has a weight. And we're all walking with the same Jesus. We're all walking towards that same kingdom, but none of us are there yet. We're all on this line, on this linear line, trying to get to the end, and we're all on various levels, but none of us are there yet. God is still working on every person around you. We're in various stages of life, various stages of the line. Listen, that doesn't mean that God's grace has ever stopped working in somebody else's life. We need patience with others because God is working in their life to produce fruit just as he's working in our life. This is where, this is where C.S. Lewis, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a, a book called The Screwtape Later, Letters. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with that book. In that letter, there's a, there's a demon um, that uh, guy, he's writing to. He's writing to this little demon. He says, here's what I want you to do, okay? This guy you're supposed to torment, he's become a Christian. He said, the best thing you can do is you can let him see all the faults of all the people in the church. Because if he can look and see all the faults in the people of the church, man, he won't have a confidence in God. Because look at all the broken people around us. Listen, if we understand what the church is, and we're a group of imperfect people. Like I, like, like, I love you all. I love the privilege of being a pastor. But listen, I have not met one of you to be perfect. And that's a good thing. 
Because we're all on this line. God is working in every one of us to bring us to that point. And we're all on this line somewhere. And if we understand that, don't we extend grace and love to each other? Understand that God is working in everyone's life and heart. Leading us all to the same place. So we need patience with others. Because God's working in in everybody's life to produce fruit just as he's working in our life. The fourth thing that James is, is going to teach us about being patient is he's going to say, be patient because God's promises are true. God's promises are true. Here's, here's what James writes, verse 10. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. See, we want to talk about being patient in the midst of suffering and in hardships and of burdens. Nobody was more patient than the Old Testament prophets. In fact, the author of Hebrews described what the prophets faced. Hebrews says in chapter 11, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. James is saying, you want to see what perseverance and, and, and what it means to be patient? Look at the prophets. Like they were patient. They, they trusted and had faith in God in the midst of these horrible circumstances that they were in. And another example that James is pointing us to is the story of Job. And I don't know how familiar you are with the story of Job. But here's a, here's a quick summary of Job. God is up on his throne one day. And the angels are coming and presenting to himself. And in walks the accuser. That's Satan. The accuser of Satan. And, 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 and Satan walks in and God says, hey, what have you been up to today? And he's like, oh, I've been walking around the earth looking at the sons of man. And, and, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? And, and Satan says, yeah, I've seen Job. And he says, God, the only reason that Job worships you, the only reason that Job loves you is because you've blessed him with good health, with prosperity, with, with wealth. That's the only reason that, that Job worships you. So God says, okay, you're free to take everything away from him. The story of Job goes, in a matter of maybe hours, maybe a couple of days, Job loses everything. He loses all seven of his kids. He loses all of his wealth. And all these things happen. And, and, and all of a sudden, God is back up. Uh, the scene changes and God is back up into the throne room and sitting on the, uh, sitting on the throne. The angels are presenting himself and in walks Satan again. And Satan, and God says, hey, Satan, 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 hold on, shh, 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 listen. Do you hear my boy Job down there? Yeah, he's singing oceans to me. He's singing, spirit, lead me where my feet could not wander. He's singing, he's singing these worship songs back to me. You've done all of this to him. And look, my boy Job, he's still worshiping me. And Satan says, well, that's only because you've given, you, you've allowed him to keep his health. He's only still worshiping you because you've given him his health. And so God says, fine. You can take his health from him, but don't kill him. So the next day, Job is, is from head, from the top of his head to the bottom of the soles of his feet. He's covered in boils all over the place. 
And he's got a, you can just picture Job with a, with a, with a, um, a piece of pot, pottery. And he's scraping his arms. He's itching because it's feeling all nasty. And his wife walks in. And his wife says, who are you? Curse God and die. Like, what a great wife. Wives, that's not the way you want to respond when your husband's in a time of, of hardship. That's not the way you want to respond. And, and, and here's Job. Job. Job is meant to be an encouragement to us. So how can, how can that story be an encouragement to us? Like, look at all the, the crap that, that he went through. How can that be an encouragement? It's an encouragement because once you get through that book, if you're patient through that book, you get to the last five chapters of the book of Job. Because in the last five chapters in the book of, of Job, God meets Job in his brokenness. God heals Job. God restores all that had been taken from him. And you see that the love and the compassion that God has made manifest in a, in a difficult time in Job's life. Where God all the time was working things out for, for Job's good and for God's glory. Was producing something within Job. And this is where we're looking and, and saying most of us, and most of us, we quit way too soon. We quit way too soon. We quit on, on God, we quit on our spouse, we quit our marriage, we quit on our job, we quit on our friends, we quit on the church, we quit in life. We quit because we're not patient enough. We don't give God enough credit to bring redemption in the mess. Because this is the example. This is, this is the story we have in the prophets. This is the story we have in Job. That God brings beauty out of the ashes. The problem is, you and I, we quit way too soon. Where we don't get it, allow God to have the story of redemption in our life. Because we're too quick to pull the trigger and say, I quit. God is faithful and God is patient. And we, in response, are to be faithful and patient and work for him, wait for him to work in our life. And live by faith that God is for us, that God is working things out for our good and for his glory. And redemption is on the, on the way. And finally, James says in verse 12, he says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and let your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. It almost kind of seems like that verse is kind of out of context, like out of place. Like, like here we've been talking about, about trials and, and patience and, and, and endurance and suffering. And then all of a sudden there's this verse about making oaths and making promises and, and, and swearing. And it seems like out of place. But I want you to think about this, okay? Think about the night that Jesus was betrayed. Jesus is in with his disciples. He's having his last meal. And remember the apostle Peter, he made an oath to God. Peter said, Jesus, Lord, if everybody leaves you, I won't leave you. He says, he says, Jesus, if I have to die to save you, then Jesus, I will die in your place. And Peter said, Jesus, I will never deny you. I'm, I'm all for you. I will never deny you. And fast forward a couple hours later. Jesus is facing uh, the worst pain imaginable. He's been arrested. 
And Peter, hours after making that oath, he denied even knowing Jesus. He says, I don't even know the man. Okay? And James, this is the idea that James is talking about. That the Christian life is not manifest through grand verbal promises. But the Christian life is made manifest through, through quiet talk that, that follows through. through. Through genuine statements of, of just who we are and what we plan on doing. Our, our patience, our endurance, our faith is not shown through, through these grand promises. God, I'll do this for you. Just bring redemption to me right now. God, I'll, I'll serve you every day. I'll, I'll pray for 45 minutes a day if you just do this thing for me. Like, that's not genuine Christian faith. Genuine Christian faith is, is, is just being genuine. Saying, God, I'm broken. I need you, God. I need you here. I need you now. It's those genuine, real statements that we follow through on. Not these grand promises that we can make to people and and swear by God and swear by this and that. Uh, No, it's just being a person who says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Just be genuine. So here, James has kind of gone through these verses with us together. And he, he, we, we've got this little sermon about recognizing that we, you can't control what happens around you, but you do have control about what happens within you. And James has given us this idea that, that persistent faith requires patience. And we are to have patience in our suffering. Patience for God to, to, to work. Patience because God is coming back to make things right. Patience because God is doing a work in every one of us. Patience with other people because God is doing a work in other people as well. And patience because God's promises are true and he will bring redemption. Listen, I know there are some in here today and you took a bunch of notes. You took a bunch of notes and, and, and you feel good about that. And you know that sometime down the road, sometime down the road, you're going to face a difficulty, a hardship, a burden. You're going to pull these notes out. And remember, that's right. That's right. God's coming back. That's right. God's promises are true. There will be redemption. I will get through this. God is for me, not against me. And that's great. Listen, there are someone here today where this idea is not a a distant idea. It's not something that we're going to pull out in the future. This is something for here, today, right here, and right now. You've got this life happening all around you. You've got these burdens, this uncertainty, this fear, this overwhelmingness in your life. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's drugs or alcohol or doubt. A family situation. You've got these things going. You, and you're just wondering, like, how long can I withstand this? How long can I hold it together? And today, this is a reminder that God's grace is upon you. That God's grace is all over you. That God is for you. That God is not against you. And that God is here stepping into your situation. He's stepping into your situation and he's telling you today, I'm coming. I'm coming. Hang in there a little while longer. I got you. I'm coming. I'm on your side. Give me a chance to work. You haven't been betrayed. God is accomplishing something that will bring worship out of your life. 
God is accomplishing something in your life that will bring worship out of your heart. If you give God the chance to work. So hang in there. Hold tight and don't quit. And lastly, as a reminder for all of us in here today, and this is a reminder that God's promises are true. That we serve a gracious and loving God who has given us grace and mercy beyond what we can imagine. And if, we are a, if you are a child of God, if you are a Christian in here today, we can be confident that God holds us fast and will hold us till the end. He will never abandon us. He will never leave us alone. He'll walk alongside us through the muck and the mire of life. He'll bring redemption. And isn't that good? Let me pray for you. God, I just am thankful for your word, just the opportunity to open it up today. That, God, you would speak to us. God, I don't know the situations that people are coming with today. I don't know what's happened this past week, this past month. God, I pray that your grace would be on every one of us today. God, I pray that we would be able to see you for who you are. That we would be able to know that, God, you are working in our life. That you have a purpose in all things. That your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on everyone, any one of us. God, I pray for that person right now who's in that hardship, that burden, feeling overwhelmed. God, I pray that your grace would be on them. That they would feel your presence. That they would know that you are there with them. That God, when you, when we cry out, that God, you promise to be with us. God, we would understand that Jesus is coming back. And all these things that seem so difficult are going to be gone in an instant. God, you will make all things right. You will right every wrong. Reconcile every broken relationship. God, I pray that we would live in that confidence. That even what we're facing today, that God, you will come and redeem that. God, I pray that you give us that strength to be patient, to endure, to fight another day. To remain faithful to who you are. God, I pray for the person in here today on the verge of quitting. Quitting in a relationship, quitting on God, quitting on the church. God, I pray that your grace would be on them. Would you give them that, that burden, that passion to fight on, to be patient, to trust that, God, you were at work. God, I pray for every one of us in here today that we'd stand on your promises. That, God, you are for us and not against us. That, God, you are working things out in our life so that you can produce the fruit that we want to experience, that we want to give back to you. God, I pray that we would be patient in that time, in that season of your growing us. That we would step in and say, God, I'm yours. God, I pray that you would produce that maturity in our church and in our lives. God, we love you and praise you and thank you for who you are. 